0: Please join me for a replay of an episode this week from Pause and Possibilities about getting and owning a dog. This episode is dedicated to Biscuit. Biscuit was our beloved cockapoo of 13 years who we just lost about a week ago. When I recorded this episode, I referred to him a few times, I think, which is pretty common for me. He and I were quite bonded. And We didn't know he was sick at the time. About a week after recording this episode, we found out he had a terminal cancer, and he gave us a couple wonderful months after that, and has recently passed away. So this episode is dedicated to Biscuit, and I will tell you that he was our first dog, and I had never owned a dog, and it was one of the most enriching and fabulous experiences. So I highly recommend it. I'd love you to listen to this episode if you're considering getting a dog. Biscuit really taught us about what it is to be man's best friend, what unconditional love really is. He taught us about life, love, joy, and even about death. So in honor of Biscuit, I hope you're up there catching so many treats. This one's for you, buddy. Love you. You're listening to Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Designing a new home to be your family's sanctuary can feel impossible during the stress of moving. In this podcast, interior designer Jill Kalman shares practical advice, design wisdom, and lifestyle tips for anyone moving to a new home. You'll learn all about the psychology of a well-designed home and how to survive the move and thrive in your new life. Say goodbye to overwhelm and hello to a home you love to come back to every single time. Here's your host, Jill Kalman. So today we are talking to Kim Greco, owner of Paws and Possibilities. She's the creator of the online dog training program called Manners Matter. She is a dog trainer for people who want to be proud of their dog and not embarrassed by them. Through her unique training system, she will help you create the relationship with your dog you've always dreamed about, all while feeling like it's a walk in the park. When she's not teaching your dog good manners, you can find her hot on the salsa dance floor or reminiscing about how fun it was to train dolphins. So welcome me with Kim today. I thought this was a really important episode to have because so many people moving from the city to the suburbs, once they get out to the suburbs and there's a lot more space and a bigger yard and the kids start asking maybe, it's kind of time for a dog, right? But with dog ownership comes a lot of different things. So we are gonna talk about all those things today. Hey, Kim, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. I'm glad. It's an important topic. You know, a lot of people, as you know, I help people moving from a major city to the suburbs, and it's so exciting to come to the suburbs and have more space and have a bigger yard and just room to, you know, spread out with the kids and everything. And so a lot of people, they've either planned, you know, before they've moved or once they get here it kind of comes about like, maybe we should get a dog (laughs) or we want to get a dog. And now we can get a dog. We have the yard and everything else, right? So it's very appealing. And I think post-holiday, just being very post-holiday right now, a lot of people do that for Christmas, right? And the holidays in general, and that's a gift for the kids or for the family. And I think there's a lot to talk about with it because pet ownership comes with a lot. And I think like myself, Some people might have grown up with a pet or not. And even if they did, though, they weren't really the primary person caring for it. So I feel like it's still very new to them.
1: Absolutely. And sometimes I think that people think that because they grew up with a pet, that they might already know most of what they need. But I think that they find there's a a bigger learning curve than they anticipate when they are the primary caregiver.
0: Right. And I mean, like myself, I knew we had pets. We only had a dog briefly because the one dog my mom got for us. It was a beagle and he was very nippy and I was only five and it just wasn't a good mix with the family. But so when I got our dog, I was a little nervous because I never owned a dog myself and took care of a dog. I got really lucky with my first dog because he was super easy to train and he was easy, but it was still new for me and there was still a lot that I had to do. So having said all that, I'm going to let you just give a brief introduction to what you do. And then we're going to get kind of into the nuts and bolts of it.
1: Sure thing. Well, my name is Kim, as you guys already know, and I'm a professional dog trainer, but I really do focus my time and attention on people who have dogs just as pets in their house, much like what you're referring to, Jill. Mm -hmm. And so our specialty for my company, which is called Paws and Possibilities, is uh, first and foremost, helping people teach their dogs how to be calm. Because oftentimes when you have a pet inside your home, especially when you also have kids, having your dog be a little calmer makes life then much easier. It also makes training your dog a lot easier. They can focus on what you're trying to tell them instead of just being sort of full of energy all of the time. So that's pretty much where I spend my time and attention these days is training dogs. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: So let's talk a little bit about, you know, pet ownership, dog ownership, making the decision to get a dog because it comes with responsibilities. It comes with figuring out what type of breed might be right for the family, costs involved. So let's cover those kind of overall topics and like how someone should make the decision to get a dog and then what dog to get for their family that's right for their family. Well, Jill, I think that could be the whole topic for the entire podcast. Uh.
1: That in and of itself is, you know, we could peel back the layers and just keep talking about exactly what you just mentioned. Yeah. Keep it super brief. It is really, I, I think my biggest advice would be to tell people to do their best, easier said than done, but to not make a decision emotionally about what dog to get, especially if it's a puppy, because- What puppy isn't going to just pull at your heartstrings, but to really do the research on finding out breed characteristics and Mm -hmm. making sure that the type of dog you're getting, whether it's a a purebred or rescue, like whatever type of dog you're getting, Mm -hmm. it has the breed characteristics that will be a match for your family. So a lot of families are super active and they want a dog to participate in their hiking or traveling or camping experiences. Mm -hmm. And some families are homebodies and they want a dog that's going to just cuddle with them on the couch. And so if you end up as a homebody, getting a dog that's super active and needs lots and lots of exercise Mm -hmm. might not be a good match as cute as that puppy may
0: be. Such a good point. And I know we had to consider, so we have Two members of the family that have allergies to dogs. So we needed uh, more of a hypoallergenic breed. We knew we wanted a more small to mid sized breed as well. We have a big yard and we knew we were going to take some walks per week, but we also knew with our schedules we couldn't walk the dog like twice a day, like what a big dog would need or even more, right? Or a dog that needs to hike. You know, one of my friends has a dog that. Really needs to hike and she loves hiking. So it works great. But for me, that probably wouldn't be a good dog, like you just said, because we wouldn't be able to tend to its needs. And then there would be sort of conflict, right? So, yeah, all those things are really important to consider. And I think you're right. There's (laughs) what puppy don't we look at and are like, oh my God, it melts my heart and I want to take that home. So I think the first thing is for people to really be honest with themselves about what they can provide and what type of personality is going to work with their family. That's so, so critical, right? Yep.
1: And there's one more thing I think I want to add in. It's probably a whole different topic. Again, when you have a family that has children and you're thinking about getting a dog, mm-hmm. I I hear families tell me almost every day that the dog they got was for their kids and that yeah. their kids are going to be responsible for it. And the kids are, you know, even if it's age appropriate, like this responsibility is going to be for the kids and the parents have these sort of Grand illusions about their children learning, the, you know, the most amazing responsibility in caring for their family pet. And if you're getting a puppy, I always like to caution parents in thinking, like, it's really not going to be just their kid's responsibility. It's going to change their lifestyle in every way, and it's unrealistic to expect that that sole burden of a young dog would fall on a child's shoulders. And a topic just as simple as house training, mm-hmm. you know, there's many adults that struggle with that. And so, oh my really, God, yes. <laughs> really unrealistic to think that you can now, you know, put something like that onto a small child or even a younger, you know, teen's shoulders and expect that they'll thrive with that. And so, I think that it's great to involve the children in picking a puppy and doing the research and talking about what kind of changes this will be for their lifestyle. But I do think it's unrealistic for parents to think that that puppy is going to be their child's responsibility completely.
0: Thank you for saying that. And I'm here to tell you as proof having two dogs, I am the one doing most of it. And I have grown children. They are young adults and I am doing most of it. And I mean, don't forget too, there's trips to the vet. There, I mean, there's so much, uh, and I would say whoever's home primarily is going to be the one that falls on me. My husband calls me pack leader because like, <laughs> and the dogs know it, they know who it is too, but it does fall on me and it's okay. I love them. And my kids, you know, they are older, they are able to help certain things, but I'm really taking I take really most of it on. And so you're right. You have to be honest with yourself about that too. And whoever's home and say, am I willing to do this for my kids? I will say in the it's really worth it. I mean, I remember one of my early trips to the vet with my first dog and I was just saying, like, really how much in love the family really was with him. And the vet looked at me and said, they really do become a member of the family. And I hadn't really thought of that when we got him. But I was like, he really is. I mean, he's a real member. You know, my mom calls them her grand dogs. So, you know, they they really do become members of the family in a wonderful way. But you do have to be realistic because, like you said, the kids, you can't rely on them for all the care and the various care that that they need, right, that the pets need. So Correct. I think that's that's good that you said that. So speaking of children, when there are smaller children in the home with a dog and even welcoming a new baby, because a lot of families are growing and have new babies in the home, what are good ways to integrate? And also regarding a new baby, sometimes you may already own the dog. And so the baby comes. So the integration there as well, if you already own the dog too, you know what I'm saying? I do. And
1: again, Jill, you're picking topics that could, we could piece this down into, again, an entire conversation just about this. Yeah. But the topics are so important to think about and consider. Yeah. In every way. Either you have a dog and you're going to have a child or you have some children and you're going to get a dog. Either one, it's really important to sort of very logically think through what that looks like. And so, you know, if you have young children and you're bringing a dog into the family, Mm -hmm. my biggest hurdle that I run and the one that I run into most often working privately with families like this is that it's really, really difficult for young children to give a dog the space that it needs to help acclimate it really nicely into the home. Yeah. Um, You know, those kids typically almost like are smothering the dog with love and attention, but too much of it. And that could lead to some problems. And so you don't want a dog to ever feel like they need to experiment with growling or maybe snapping, especially towards the children in an order to try to like get some space to just breathe for a minute. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to try to work with young children regularly on teaching them the phrase i always use is that you know the dog is always talking to you even though they're not using words like we do and so really teaching kids to honor the body language of the dogs yes. and to approach it curiously and sort of like almost as a game to try yeah. to figure out like oh what do you think the dog just said now and then to really the goal is to to really teach the young children that if there's a dog that's moving away from them, that Mm -hmm. they should not pursue it, they yes. should let them. And so a lot of times, especially families with young children, I like to sort of set the boundaries that one, that the dog needs to approach the child for the interaction. And two, a good rule of thumb is that kids should just use one hand to interact with their dog and yeah. that would avoid them sort of bear hugging or or leaning on yes. or smothering the dog. So all of those things are really important. But most important of all is parental supervision, mm-hmm. making sure that you're not in one room As a parent and your kids are playing with the dog and entertaining the dog in the other room Mm -hmm. and you don't really know anything until potentially there's been a problem that you're alerted to. And then you need to kind of work triage as opposed to reaction versus being proactive and making sure things are going really well.
0: Yeah. Picking up on those cues is important. And even my first dog, we noticed at a certain period of time when small children were coming into the house, especially if there was a lot of them and they would all like, let's say my kids were having a play date and there were a bunch of kids coming over, right? They would all rush to the dog and he got very, he didn't like that at all. And it was too much for him. It invaded his space too much. And I remember talking to my vet and there were two things that they mentioned to me. And one, whether you, I'm not sure if you would agree, but one was, you know, dogs have a way of communicating. It's like a baby when they're crying, right? Is the cry that the diapers wet or they're hungry or they're sick, right? And, and and dogs have different sounds too. And like you said, they're talking to us, but even a small growl doesn't mean that you have an aggressive dog. It means that dog is saying, okay, don't come any closer. And a lot of times humans take the growl as, oh no, it'll be okay. And they pursue it. And then that's when the dog could really get aggressive or maybe even nip. And so you have to listen to what the dog is saying, right? Absolutely. And I think it's really
1: about honoring your relationship with your dog. And the language that I often use is to say that I always want pet owners to advocate for their dog Yeah, they can't advocate for themselves. And so many times you have kids coming over like a play date and they might rush towards your dog. Yeah, but The opposite is also a factor. So training is really important for your dog because sometimes you'll have kids come over for a play date that are afraid of dogs. Yes. You should be able to have enough behavioral management over your dog that you would be able to manage that situation so that the child doesn't get more nervous of dogs. You imagine right. a kid's scared of a dog and your dog comes over and jumps on them, maybe yeah. even knocks them to the floor with the best of intentions. Yeah. That kind of thing that could be quite traumatic for some children.
0: Totally. So in other words, you want to, as the pet owner, you want to have a command to tell the dog like to stay back or- Absolutely. Um, Yeah, exactly. For sure. And then I also want to
1: circle back because you had asked as well about if you were expecting a baby and maybe you already had a dog, and there's a (laughs) thousand things to do for situations like that. Yeah, Um, But the first and foremost is to consider that there's a significant amount of training that your dog will need prior to you having your baby. So Mm -hmm. you've got nine months to work with, which should be plenty of time for you to try to work some training in there. Yeah, Um, And so it's really, I think the best case is people who don't wait until there is a problem with the baby and their dog that sort of proactively address some of the things that you're going to need to work on. The easiest one is to, to start to condition your dog when you arrive home, Mm. that they're not going to be the ones that get your attention first. So even before you have your baby, condition your dog that you might not pay attention to your dog for up to 30 minutes after you get home. Because with a newborn, chances are the second you walk through the door, that baby will need your undivided attention. It needs its diaper changed, or maybe it's hungry. It'll need something before you can really focus a lot on your dog. So the fact that your dog could get used to waiting for your attention after you get home could really help alleviate the fact that Right, that it's now it's all the baby's fault, or there's some jealousy in there. They're already conditioned to to waiting to get your attention before your baby comes home. The other tip, if I have to just keep it to a, a one or two, is I don't want anybody to try to rush through. Everybody has these grand plans that you're gonna bring your baby home from the hospital, and the first thing is that your dog's gonna come over and greet them, and then they'll be best of friends forever. I would rather take things super slow and not worry about about the quote unquote introduction. And I wouldn't focus too much on trying to like videotape it or get the pictures that you're going to put on social media. It's like focus your attention on your dog, focus Mm -hmm. your attention on your baby, have Mm -hmm. your dog on a leash, but don't rush it. It might be a week after your baby comes home that you really start to have them spend a little more time together or even in the same room together. So I think that most people try to do that like within the first 30 seconds of walking through the door from the hospital. And that's a big shock for your dog. And I think that people sort of underestimate the pressure that we're putting on our dogs to sort of jump right into this huge transition right out of the gate. And I'd rather it be slow and steady so that it's not as intimidating for the dogs.
0: Yeah, it's so important. I actually heard recently from somebody that had their second baby. They already had the dog. And And she said the biggest challenge is for the dog to understand when I have to tend to the baby, you know, and so that is definitely a huge challenge. The other thing I remember was because we didn't have a dog before I had kids. And then my kids, my youngest, I think was about five when we got our dog. So we sort of noticed that the dog definitely felt alpha over the youngest member of the family. The trainer told me that's sometimes common. They can sense who's kind of low on the totem pole. So that's a training issue as well, you know, that we, ha- that, you know, the dog had to learn to treat, you know, everybody, you know, equally, they couldn't, right. Take the alpha in them Correct. over one member. Cause they were yeah. like the tiniest or the youngest, but they know, they kind of know who the youngest is, don't they? It's kind of interesting. They,
1: it's not necessarily like they know it's the youngest. And honestly, I shy away from using the word alpha because That's the type of word that means something different to anyone that's listening to Mm -hmm. our conversation. Okay. But it is important to recognize that there should be a hierarchy inside your family. It's unrealistic to think that your dog is going to treat everybody in the family the same way, Mm -hmm. but it is not unrealistic and it is very important. And this is where training can certainly come in and help set Mm -hmm. the stage Mm -hmm. that your dog does need to be respectful, even of the children. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, I think we've really, it's kind of implied, but the importance of training, whether you do a group class or one-on-one, or I liked a combination with both of my dogs. I liked the group trainings because it helped me with a lot of things. The dog did well in it and it's good for socialization, but then I also needed some one-on-one and that was the one-on-ones were really helpful for very specific things that I was facing that I needed to, you know, work with the dog. And I have learned over the years that a lot of times it's not the dog, right? It's the <laughs> it's the pet owner and the cues you're giving and what you're allowing or not allowing that's the training. And so I really felt like I was I had to be trained and then I could be a better dog mom, let's call it. But I did learn that. And so anyway, I think a combination is nice, but let's talk about like maybe the pros and cons of both and also just the importance of of training in general. And even if you self-train and do a lot of reading, that's helpful too. And videos and things where you can learn and just learn to be a better or more helpful, responsible dog owner. For
1: sure. And especially for a lot of of your listeners who, like you had mentioned already, are parents of children. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a big overlap, believe it or not, in parenting children and also training dogs. Mm. And and the big overwhelming overlap is things like you want to be really careful not to accidentally reinforce behavior that you don't want. Right. Most parents are quite aware that we do that on a regular basis because yep. they're, they're tired or upset or, or whatever the case may be. But for training your dog, it's just really important that you focus your attention on reinforcing the stuff that you like, um, mm-hmm. that you want to see more of. Mm-hmm. And so- It is really important to train your dog, whether you have behavior problems that need to be modified or eliminated from the repertoire, or if you have a dog, like you said, you had a really easy dog, that's great, but those dogs still benefit from training because it's just really enriching and healthy for dogs to be learning new things and really engaging in a positive and stimulating way with their families. Mm -hmm. And so- When you have an easy dog, it's it's kind of fun to involve the kids and maybe they can train some tricks or things like that. If you end up with a challenging dog, then training is absolutely critical because people would need to address their behavior in a way to modify it and stop it or have them do something different instead to make sure that their dog and people and everybody else are going to stay safe. So, yes, there are a variety of different ways to approach training. You mentioned the two that you did, group training and private training, both have pros and cons for sure. I also want to add a third type of training into the mix here for Mm -hmm. you. And that is, especially over the past two years, Mm. there's been a huge surge in the opportunity for people to train their dogs virtually. I've heard that. I've heard that. So when we first started virtual training two years ago we did like live sort of zoom group classes or private lessons through the computer. My intention as a business owner was that that would be temporary Mm -hmm. and that there would be a point in the future we would stop doing that and go back to our normal classes. Mm -hmm. But our clients got so much value out of it Mm -hmm. that they've, begged us not to stop. And the reason is because when we do private training, we'll go into your home mm-hmm. and it's quite common. And you may have experienced this, that the dog tends to act a little better when the dog trainer's there than when the <laughs> yes. dog trainer's not Yes, there, right. you hear all the time, like, could you just move in with us? Like, yes. act like this. Yep. And then the same sort of situation is that when you bring your dog into a group class and it's mm-hmm. live and you go someplace, first of all, your dog has traveled the car mm-hmm. and they go into a space and they're around a variety of other dogs who may be well-behaved or may not be well-behaved. Mm-hmm. And that situation is really, really difficult for you to get your dog into a state of mind where learning something new is fun and enriching. Usually they're quite distracted. Yeah. And so you kind of have a whole other hurdle. Like you said, though, it's great to be around other dogs and learn to be calm around other dogs and, and get to the place where they can learn like that. It's super beneficial but the virtual lessons that we do through the computer are sort of like the best of both worlds in the fact that we can help you and coach you privately or in a group setting, but your dog's behavior isn't changing based on the other factors that are related to the training.
0: I love that benefit. That's so cool. And it's funny because I have virtual services for interior design, which I actually developed before COVID I was planning to do, but they've been so beneficial. Like we get The same result for the client, if not better with more flex. I mean, there's a lot of pros to it. And so it really is interesting because especially before COVID, I think just our view in general of virtual things like what you're doing, like how could we ever train dogs virtually in a group, right? Or one-to-one and here it works beautifully. That's such a good point. And what's also good about virtual, which I do it too, you can help anybody anywhere. So, I mean, like now that you've said this, if I think I need a private training for my dogs, you and I could connect and I could say... I want to do a training with you and we live not near each other. So that's great too. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's a super good point. Yeah. So training, even though biscuit, my first dog was, as I said, easy. Yeah. He still needed training. I mean, he needed, you know, housebreaking and, you know, listening and sitting and stay. I mean, they still needed that, but I say he was easy because he caught on quick. He was a very food motivated dog. Some aren't. So like the treat, was a good motivator for him in the beginning to learn. So I had a relatively easy time. But yeah, I mean, they all need to be trained and continually trained. He's an older dog now. And I find during the course of owning him, he slipped out of certain habits we trained him on. He didn't slip out, I slipped. (laughs) right? Right. And so you have to keep up with it for sure. You sure. Know? And,
1: and teach them something new too is fun too. Cause it's, it's imagine, you know, that as a parent, you know, somebody might say like, oh, you're already old. You don't need to learn anything else in the rest of your life. Like that doesn't make any sense at all. Right. It's really stimulating for animals to learn new things. And so either it's maintaining the things they already know, which is really important or teach them something new just for fun.
0: Yeah, he picked up a few new things when we got our new dog because I was training with wow. her on other things and I learned new things with her that I then applied to him. And so, yeah, anyway, all it's, right. all, it's all good. My accessory course has finally launched. It is here. So to grab it, you can go to my website and click on course. Or if you go to my Instagram page, click the link in bio. That's right. I'm bringing it to you because over the last several years, it has been one of the top requested things that I get asked. And it just so happens, it's what I'm really passionate about and what I've always loved to do. I always felt like your home wasn't fully dressed until I brought in that last layer and I loved doing it. And I love styling for my photo shoots. And most of the time I bring in all the accessories and get everything styled for a photo shoot, guess what? The client wants to keep it all. Well, I'm gonna show you my secrets, my tips, my tricks. It's gonna be in a really simple video course broken up into modules that are gonna be easy for you to get resources, solutions, and really quick wins at an affordable price, all with direction from me. So you can have your home looking like those sitting in a magazine or how I set them up for photo shoots really easily. I'm super excited. So if you're scratching your head about what to put on your coffee table, what to put on your mantle, how to arrange it, what to put in your bookcases, You're gonna wanna go click that link in bio and get this course at a very affordable price. I hope to see you there. Let's chat now about separation anxiety with pets. And I kind of think it could be in the forefront now, you would know better than me, but I have heard from some people because we've been home so much, that now when we do leave, when there has been that opportunity to take a trip, let's say, or even leave you know, during the day more than we did before, it's becoming a little bit more common problem than before. Some dogs, even before COVID, I know just had separation anxiety. I know that was an issue for some people. So I just wanted to talk about separation anxiety in general with a dog. Sure. And you've, you sort of hit the nail on the head. I feel like
1: before COVID, that's going to be like a thing in this day and age I know. before COVID.
0: Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. PC. <laughs> we, right.
1: We would definitely see cases of separation anxiety. There's no doubt about that. Sure. Um, over the years, in the past 10 years, I've definitely treated separation anxiety on a fairly regular basis. Mm-hmm. But the the commonality of it now has intensified. I wish I could do some sort of like official statistical analysis of cases, you know, before and after, but, but haphazardly, I would tell you cases of separation anxiety are up anywhere from 60 to 80% now compared to what they were before. It is literally like unreal. And there are many people who have dogs that have fairly extreme separation anxiety and the owners don't even know it because they haven't really been going anywhere. Yeah. And so Sometimes it's it's so so I laugh. I think the funniest advice I could give anybody for this case is at least go to the bathroom by yourself. Yeah, right. (laughs) At least go into the bathroom and close the door behind you and let your dog be without you for you know however long that's going to take you. Right. And and I think right that's that's the easiest place to start. But I do think it's important that your dog be able to spend some alone time Mm -hmm. each day, and whether you are getting in your car and or walking, I guess if you're in the suburbs, you're getting in your car, right? And driving somewhere. Or if you're just going into a different room than your dog, even if it's five or 10 minutes a day, it's so important that dogs sort of learn and or maintain their ability to spend some time without you without it causing anxiety and there are many people who would need training help because they might not even be able to do that right now anxiety is a really tricky training case yeah. and for me it starts with teaching the dog how to be calm when i'm with them yeah. because if they can't tap into how to be calm when i'm with them it's unrealistic to think they're going to tap into that by themselves when i'm away
0: That's such a good point.
1: There are some really clear steps that we use for helping cases like this and and helping dogs learn like almost like a self-soothing technique for how to act, how to be when they're by themselves. But we are not doing our dogs any favors at all. The more time we're spending at home, if we are with
0: them all Mm -hmm. the time. I know. So it's definitely been, been a thing, I think. I know even for my dogs, because... I had to go and visit my parents and not take the dogs because they needed some help. And I needed to not have the dogs with me. And I had to do it a few times. But the first time I did it, I mean, they were left at home. So they were in their environment. And my husband was home and one of my daughters was home. But still, you know, Biscuit missed me because he's very attached to me. But he got through it. I was gone, you know, five days. And then I did it a few other times. But the first time I did it it was definitely an adjustment because I had been home so much those 15 or 16 months, 18 months, Mm -hmm. you know, so to leave then all of a sudden for, you know, five or six days instead of, you know, three hours. Yeah, I think it's something people have to notice. And like you said, you don't necessarily know. Uh, Some people know, I've heard some people with extreme cases where the dog becomes destructive because of the anxiety. So they know because of that, but that's an extreme case, I think. So what are some cues for you to maybe pick up on if when you leave, you don't know and you don't have, some people have a camera. I guess you could maybe get one to just observe the dog when you leave.
1: Yep. A camera is really handy for checking on them when you're not there. Another thing to consider too, is like, if you did take my advice and decide that you'd like to spend, you know, 10 or 15 minutes in a different room from your dog on any given day, you're going to know how your dog is handling that because Oh, you that's a good point. Them. They might whine or bark. I have a dog that, that likes to go wherever I am in my house. So that's a normal thing that dogs would do is they, they pick their person and they just kind of want to be wherever they are. Yep. And so some people have dogs that I call them Velcro dogs. So they're with you everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself is not a problem. For me, the problem would be like, well, what if they couldn't go with you? What if you went upstairs and they didn't go upstairs with you? Right. Like for my dog, she wouldn't care. She would just stay laying on the couch and then wait for me to come back down. Yeah. If I told her like, hey, don't come with me, she'd be like, okay, fine. But some dogs like that triggers anxiety in them in the fact that if they can't go with you or if they can't be with you, then they're anxious. So either they're whining or they're barking, or sometimes they're panting or pacing, you know, any of those signals that would be showing you your dog is anxious are all things that I think should be addressed. I'm not a vet and I don't try to pretend to be a vet, but I do think that any dog that lives with anxiety as a common part of their lifestyle, Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine that that dog will live as long as dogs that are calmer in their everyday life. So that constant stress on their body, just, it can't be healthy for them. And I think it's really important to address it.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Okay. That's a good one. So let's chat about if you just got a dog for the holidays, everybody was so excited, right? They picked it out, couldn't wait to give it to the family, and now that little honeymoon phase is over. And it's post-holiday, the dog's at home, you're struggling caring for it or integrating it into the family. What do we do? Right. And I, my answer would be, you go back to like, you get some help with training, but I would love to hear what your advice would be on that. Cause you know, it happens. I ran into a lady at Starbucks the other day. I didn't know her. And actually before I went into Starbucks, there were these two kids with this really cute little, it looked like a black lab puppy tiny puppy, really cute. And I said, did you guys just get that for Christmas? And they said, we did. And just as I said that and was walking in, the mom was walking out and I said, oh, I just saw the puppy. Congratulations. And she's like, oh yeah. (laughs) And she's like, I'm so tired. And now my son's asking for, I think it was like a guinea pig or something. And I said, no, (laughs) You got to handle this first. So yeah, I mean, a lot of people got dogs for the holidays, which I think is common. So once that honeymoon phase is over, and the reality hits, what do you do? Well, it's also a a challenging time of year to have a puppy
1: because it's, for many places in the country, it's very cold outside. Yep. (laughs) Um, And so that just adds another layer of complication into every aspect of your life. So yeah, puppies are hard. It's almost like having a a newborn baby Mm -hmm. where it takes a lot of your time, your effort, your energy, lots and lots of patience. Mm -hmm. And they go through phases that are quite challenging, especially when they're teething, they're going to be chewing on more things, potentially destroying things in your house, or chewing on you, which is super (laughs) uncomfortable. I've had lots of clients show up with puppies and they show me their arms. And it's just like little scabs of little Razor blade bite marks all up and down their arms. Yeah, some people tell me their puppies like chase them around the house and try to like jump up and bite on their pants. Kids, I've worked with families where kids are afraid to even be on the floor. So one very creative child managed to get from the bottom of the stairs to the kitchen by going (laughs) across the dining room table and then (gasps) jumping onto the couch, going across the couch over the back of the couch, and then jumping onto the island in the kitchen. Oh my god! Also. his puppy wouldn't be biting his feet while he tried to get there. Oh my um, God. That's crazy. So these puppies can be quite challenging. And I feel like I, I hear a common theme from pet parents at times where they'll tell me that they love their dog, but right now they don't even like them. Yeah. And so that training can can flip that sometimes in as as little as one session. Yep. But the tips that I would give anybody that might relate to that mindset right now would be please do not hesitate to keep your puppy on a leash inside your house.
0: I did that. Um, I found that really helpful in the beginning with both it,
1: my dogs. For sure. It is really really helpful because it's inevitable that they're going to do something that you're going to want to move them away from to have them stop doing. And if they're on a leash, it's simple. You can just pick up the leash and move and they'd have to come with you. If they're not on a leash, then you run into like, is it, can you even catch them if they're going to run away from you? Or if they have a collar on, a lot of people just think, oh, just grab their collar and move them that way. But Mm -hmm. it's really easy for dogs to learn that they could resist that or maybe try to bite you while your hand is near their mouth. And sometimes it makes the problems actually worse instead of better. You know, They might be chewing on your coffee table and you go to try to move them and now they're biting you. And so having them on a leash sometimes fixes some of that almost instantaneously. And the other thing to consider is that if you're struggling in any area with your dog, puppy or otherwise, I think that the first step to do is to not let your dog have as much freedom Mm -hmm. inside the house. It doesn't mean... That it needs to be crazy or or adaptive, but reducing your dog's freedom and having more things come from you than you just all of a sudden become a little bit more relevant, a little more important in the dog's world. Maybe not letting them have 57 toys all at the same time. Perhaps they have one or two, and then you could provide extra bonus ones that you're playing with them or, or interacting with them. Maybe not letting them have like free reign of the house or keeping them to a smaller area. Again, on leash, more supervision and more training. And, and a lot of times those things can get alleviated. Some of those problems can get
0: alleviated just with that advice in a matter
1: of 24 hours.
0: Yeah. I, I found the leash helpful for that. Just knowing that they didn't have free reign of the house. And especially when you're housebreaking, that's helpful too. Cause they can't just roam and sneak somewhere in a corner, especially I have smaller breed dogs. So that would have been a common thing. So I found the leash really helpful when that was advised to me. And once I did it, it did make a huge difference. And especially when they're, you know, when you first have them home in those early weeks, they just need some boundary, you know? Yes, for sure. If somebody really is feeling, though, that they made the wrong choice for their family, either just in general, like they just can't handle the dog, can we sort of give people permission to feel okay about that and reach out to the appropriate channel to say, I can't take the dog anymore, can you? I mean, I feel like it's shamed a little bit, to be honest, and I feel like, though, for some families, it might just not be right, ultimately. For sure. Yeah. I would love for a
1: conversation like this to, to be guilt free. Yeah. I would like more education before somebody gets the dog, as far as like the conversations that we've had today. As yeah. Far, you know, it's not going to be just the kids' responsibility, it's going to be a whole family lifestyle change and things like that. And that I would rather, Keep the people who might not be up for the the changes from getting the dog in the first place. But I agree. If, if we can't do that, and we can't, you know, educate people well enough, and they end up with a dog, they're in over their head, and it's too stressful, it's too challenging. As far as I'm concerned, safety comes first and mm-hmm. foremost, especially when kids are involved. Mm-hmm. If you have a dog that's showing any kind of propensity towards anything aggressive, and and again, there's another. Trigger word that means something different to everybody. But if Mm -hmm. you ever are concerned about your children's safety, then you may not have the right dog for your family. And then rehoming that dog, working appropriately to find an avenue where that dog could thrive. So, because I think our culture is quick. To shame people Mm -hmm. in you got a dog and now you're going to get rid of it? Like, how dare you? What are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like sometimes, you know, if I stand in advocating for the dog. And so there are times in families I've run into where I feel like it's not fair to that dog to have them stay in that environment. Yeah. They might thrive somewhere else. And so it's almost a sometimes it's a selfless act to rehome a dog because you know that that dog might actually do much better with a family that has older children or in the city versus the suburbs or or a retired couple or yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or a family that doesn't have another dog or like there's a, or that they don't have cats. And so, Or like if you made a mistake in the type of dog you got where, you know, you love to go hiking every weekend, but your dog isn't one that could keep up with you. And now your dog's going to be alone all the time because you guys keep going hiking or traveling or yeah, or anything. So there's a thousand reasons. It makes me sad. It really makes me sad for somebody that would be quite flippant about it. Like, oh, I got a dog and now I don't want it. Yes. In my opinion, sort of the worst case scenario would be people who are giving up an older dog to a shelter because they got a younger dog and now they don't want the older one anymore. Oh no, uh, I could never. Right? Like if <laughs> but I know. but where, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are times where I feel like, you know, yes, when you get a dog, it's a lifestyle change and it's a, you know, If you're lucky, you're in it for, you know, 20 years. Yeah. Um, But if there's a problem, if there's a a situation, if there's a a mismatch by some reason, I think that it's really important that people realize that sometimes it's just as as important for the dog's well-being for the dog to not stay there.
0: Yeah, that's well said. And you know, I bring it up only because I've actually seen a couple incidents in the past where a couple had a new baby and The dog, it just, it really wasn't working. It was just not good for the family, like truly. Mm -hmm. And it was actually heartbreaking for the family to have to make the decision, but they had to choose their child over the dog. And they were shamed horribly on social media. And social media, as we know, has a tendency to do that. People are a lot more free about that. But I just wanted to bring it up because I think, you know, life happens, things happen, mistakes get made. If ultimately, truly, if you've tried everything and training, I think is huge. I mean, my second dog was much harder for me and I had like a lot of hard days where I was like, oh my goodness. But I got with the training that I got, it really helped and then it worked out. But I just want to give people some permission to be human. And, you know, if a baby's involved, like you said, or it's just the better because it really is the betterment for both it's the family and the dog. And if ultimately that's the true you know, benefit, then I think people not need to be shamed about it. That's all. I agree. Yeah. We touched on your virtual training services. I just want to have you let the audience know what you offer because I think it's great. And no matter where you live, they could tap into what you have. And then I'll close the show by having you give any of your best quick tips or advice if there's any, anything you want to close with. And then let's tell listeners where to find you Instagram website, any of that. Sure thing. Yeah. So my online version of our dog training program is a
1: course that I developed many years ago before COVID, the standalone course online is called Manners Matter. Mm -hmm. And it is designed to be done at home with videos and download homework. There's four different modules. Each module has different sections to it. Mm -hmm. So it is created so that you could go through the course over a four week period, um, training your dog, mimicking all of the content and information that we teach in our live group training classes. Mm -hmm. And there is the option purchasing our online program, to also purchase access to our unlimited virtual group training classes. And so for any given month, whether you get it for one month, or if you were interested in just doing it ongoingly, you can sign up for as many of the online classes in any given 30 day period that you'd want. Mm -hmm. And those classes are a variety of different topics and variety of different ways to support people more in depth and more personally than if they just did the online content by themselves. But the online content by itself, the Manners Matter program is one that hundreds and hundreds of people have done all around the world. And it it kind of blows my mind sometimes when I get the messages from people who, you know, I had one woman in, in France tell me one time that somebody asked her if she got in a different lab because they couldn't even believe it was the same one as before she started the training. That's amazing. Um, and I had never met her. I'd never worked. i never had a conversation with her. i never worked with her personally. Mm-hmm. And so it was really breathtaking for me to, to realize years ago, like eight years ago, that this online format was really viable for helping people teach their dogs. And now it's just even more so in the new culture. People, like you had mentioned earlier, people are quite aware of the value of working virtually and the things that you can get out of it. So, definitely. Yeah. Definitely.
0: And then if somebody wants one-on-one, would you meet like on Zoom for about an hour? How does that work if they want a private? Yep. That's exactly how it works. And the okay. private lessons that we offer are super customizable to
1: be mm-hmm. able to address any issues that they're having with their dog. So whether it's basic training or working with kids to have the kids learn how to interact better with their dogs or separation anxiety. Or Mm -hmm. I actually just did a private lesson package with a family in New Jersey because they were expecting a baby. And Luckily, this woman's mom is a client of mine and the mom told her as soon as she found out she was pregnant, like start to train your dogs. And so that's what we did. We trained her dogs during the pregnancy so that when she had her baby and came home, the dogs were already well-trained for all the things that she would need for that. That's such great advice. That's such a good, that's such an important thing. Yeah. There's no
0: reason to wait. So yeah, there's a variety of different things that we would be able to touch base on privately. Great. And then, where's the best place for listeners to find you and learn about the virtual course and other things? Would it be Instagram, the website, both? Tell everybody where you're located. For sure. Um,
1: So, I'm easy to find if you know my business name, which is Pause and Possibilities. Dog Paws, like P-A-W-F, Paws and Possibilities. Mm-hmm. And our website is pawsandpossibilities.com. Our Instagram is at pause and Possibilities. And our Facebook also is Paws and Possibilities. So it's super easy to find us in that way online. Our website has a lot of... of Information. It also has some articles that people could read. There's some really, really great content in the article section, like a blog section of our website. Mm-hmm. And there's also two free downloadable resources on the website as well. One is an ebook that is about the biggest mistake that people make when they're trying to train their dogs. Mm-hmm. And the other one is an ebook that's called Rescued. And it is designed for anybody that has recently rescued a dog of any age. And having read that ebook Would help somebody set the stage to avoid most of the common pitfalls that people make when rescuing dogs.
0: Oh, that's great. Really great. Yeah. And we could do a whole other episode too on like rescues and how to find a rescue. And I mean, I think like you said, so many of these topics that we covered, we could do a whole episode on, but I wanted to start by giving people kind of like the basic highlights with some good tips and advice to start. And I'll just say like, if you want to come on to the show again and we get some feedback, you know, in fact, I'm going to encourage the audience. If you want to have an episode just about newborns and pets, or just about rescues or Whatever, we'll do a segment on it. So reach out to us, DM us, and I'm happy to have you back, Kim, to do a whole episode on some of these topics. Because, like you said, we could talk for a full episode about each one. But I did want to kind of touch on all of them because they're things that come up. And I think you've given enough sort of what I'll call tips and tricks to sort of get somebody, you know, thinking in the right direction and learning how to get help. And I think that if you haven't made the commitment to get a dog yet, this episode is also really good cuz it covers kind of everything that could come up and what you do need to think about and you know if you can think about that and be really honest with yourself that's going to help you make the right decision whether you get the dog or not like we said. Great, right? Yeah. So absolutely. I loved having you. I think this is so important and happy to have you again. Like I said if we get some feedback on a, one of the specific topics we've covered and we want to do a whole segment on that I'd love to have you come back. So it's been really great. I thank you for your time. My pleasure. It was wonderful to have a conversation with you, Jill. Thanks so much for including me. Awesome. And we will talk soon. So thank you so much. Okay. Take care. Take care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And I know we covered a lot of topics, but I think there's a lot of topics to talk about when you're either thinking about getting a dog and adding to your family, or maybe you have one and these issues are definitely coming up. So as I mentioned in the podcast with Kim, you know, she talked about a lot of these topics we could do a whole episode on. So if one of the topics we touched upon is something you want to dive into deeper Let us know. Send me a DM. Let me know. I'm happy to have her back on and do further episodes that get even more specific on some of these topics. But, you know, it is an undertaking of sorts. And in the end, it's so worth it. I love both my dogs and I was never a dog owner before. So I hope this helped you, gave you some insight, gave you some tools. Reach out to Kim if you have a dog and you've been debating about how to get some training And this way she offers, you know, the private one-to-one as well as the virtual class. So there's a lot there. Feel free to reach out to her, follow her on Instagram. And from my home to yours, I will see you soon. And as always, you're going to want to always head over to JillCalmanInteriors.com. I've got a wonderful new freebie for you called the Room Planner. And most of the time that you're not getting your house decorated, it's because you don't have a plan in place. This helps you cover it all and get it in motion so you can accomplish your home design goals. Go grab it now. It's totally free. And my course is also still available on the website along with so much more. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Head over to JillCalmanInteriors.com to learn more about designing a beautiful new home while minimizing the stress of moving. See you back here next week.